0: Hi everybody, this is Carol Hyman, Executive Director of Applied Mindfulness Training. I'm recording this episode of turning troubles into treasures from a new location. I've traded the quiet of the countryside and a house that was way too big for one person for the convenience of a much smaller place where a trip to the grocery store takes minutes instead of the better part of an hour. Downsizing on the outside while a lot of work brings a kind of relief. But with all the logistics of the move occupying my attention, the deadline for recording a new podcast episode was on me before I'd had time to contemplate it. Thank goodness, as luck would have it, after a long wait, the audiobook version of my book, Meeting Your Mind, became available for purchase on audible.com this week. And one section of it is particularly relevant to me right now, since it deals with unpacking our baggage. You could think of it as downsizing on the inside, unpacking the psychological accumulations that can weigh us down. That, too, brings a kind of relief. I hope you'll find this excerpt from the audiobook of Meeting Your Mind helpful. A Vehicle for What? Six decades of experience, half of it spent helping others learn how to work with their minds, has convinced me that human beings are fundamentally alike. So now I look at other people as vehicles, too. We deliver into this world much more than just our genetic material. We are carriers of cultural norms, bearers of bias and open-heartedness, conveyors of confusion and clarity and more, often without even being aware that we're doing it. If we pay attention to our inner chatter, after a while we start to recognize certain voices. Sometimes they're regulars, and sometimes they're guest stars, but as long as we remain convinced that our thoughts reflect something real about the nature of the solid, separate self we assume ourselves to be, we're pretty much at their mercy. Thinking of our inner tendencies as passengers, we can begin to recognize on the spot, when an unruly passenger is about to take control of our vehicle. No metal detectors will stop these hijackers. Our only defense is to identify them, instead of identifying with them. As we get to know ourselves better, we begin to recognize our personal weather, the prevailing patterns, and the changing conditions. We think of the former as traits, and the latter as moods, and if we begin to track our patterns, we start to see which are our most constant companions. Of those, some incline our vehicles to deliver confusion and others to bring benefit. We won't know which are which unless we take attendance. When our best intentions are held hostage by forces we don't understand, the only way to extricate ourselves is by paying attention. To ransom back our lives, we have to get to know who's on board our vehicles. We do this by spending quiet time looking inward, processing the passenger manifest, so to speak. The idea of inner parts is not a new one. Freud conceived of the ego, superego, and id. The inner critic and the inner child have gained popularity as useful conceptual tools. Other theories suggest you view your inner parts as members of a family or as internalized bits of ancestral inheritance— and there are various techniques that promise access to one's different parts. Most of these strategies are geared toward either exercising unwholesome parts or integrating all of your parts into your true self. The goal suggested here is neither of those. Detecting patterns simply means getting to know what passengers you carry and how laden with baggage they are. So unpack already. Start with what you think of yourself. Anytime you hold a belief that you are someone who always does this or never does that, you miss out on spontaneously discovering that you're bigger than you think. I could never speak in front of a large group of people. I have to get to bed by 10 o'clock or I'm worthless the next day. I never leave a task until it's finished. Such beliefs are like suitcases we carry around, sometimes feeling weighed down, sometimes feeling a sense of comfort in their familiarity. Like nesting suitcases, beliefs often mask deeper beliefs. We may think we could never speak publicly because we can't imagine having anything worth saying, or we believe we're inarticulate by nature. Thinking we have to be in bed by a certain time to function stems from believing that our energy is a limited and fragile commodity. Never leaving a task unfinished expresses fear of the messiness and uncertainty of life. Whatever the subtext, we pay a real price for all that hidden baggage. Many people labor through life feeling heavily burdened, believing we have no choice but to carry our histories and beliefs along with us. Indeed, unless we realize that there is a choice, we don't really have one. Practicing mindfulness, we learn to recognize patterns going around on the baggage carousel of mind. We can let go of our beloved storylines and beliefs, but first we need to be sure that they aren't key to our survival. Therefore, examining the contents of our bags is a valuable, even necessary process. Meditation practice helps open the latches so we can inquire within. But not so fast. It's worth clarifying the relationship of two of the main metaphors this book uses to describe what we work with when we begin to apply mindfulness. You could think of the cocoon as being made up of different threads of habitual inner sensations, emotions, and thoughts, all so tightly intertwined that you perceive it as relatively solid. As you learn to direct attention and become familiar with inner space, you begin discriminating different recurring qualities. This book calls them passengers. And passengers that took up residence as the result of events you couldn't fully process at the time they occurred tend to carry the heaviest baggage and trigger the most reactivity. One hurdle to overcome once we start to see the cocoon is the desire to get rid of it all at once, an impulse that only creates more cocoon. Instead of being willing to say, oh, how nice that I'm getting to know myself, I wonder what I'll discover, we want it to be over. It's like going away for the weekend with somebody we'd like to get to know, and instead of being willing to let things unfold in the fullness of time, we say, okay, now I'm going to give you sodium pentothal and you're going to tell me everything about yourself right now. That would be enough to make anybody run. Our passengers are no different. When we turn inward, not because we're curious about what's there, but because we want to get it over with, whatever we think it is that will make us feel better or happier or more fulfilled, we create a constricted environment. It's as if we can't be bothered to make the space in our busy lives to be friendly to ourselves. If we could love ourselves enough to be willing to be with ourselves, being exactly who we are completely, our lives would change totally. Who else would ever love us that much? You can't pay a therapist to be with you in that way. You can't find a lover who will be with you in that way. You are the only one who can do that for yourself. And it takes enormous courage and bravery, real fearlessness, the kind that is willing to face fear head-on and feel it, to let go of all our strategies in order to just be with ourselves exactly as we are. It's as if we've been tortured for years by being kept in a very small, confined space and not allowed to move. But in this case, we're our own torturers. There's nobody out there doing it to us. We've kept ourselves in these small, confined, cramped inner spaces until our faculties have atrophied and our sense of possibility has shrunken. If we were dealing with a person who had literally been confined, We'd begin to nourish that person very gently. We'd open the space a little, but we wouldn't put them on top of a building, which might freak them out by contrast. We wouldn't say, okay, hurry up, you should be running a marathon next week. We'd say, strengthen your muscles, stretch a little, every day feel a little more strength coming back. Eventually, that person might run a marathon to a mountaintop. What we are doing in Inner Reconnaissance is trying to learn how to stop torturing ourselves. There's no need to try to push ourselves out of the cocoon yet. In fact, that's counterproductive. But we could begin to get a little glimpse of possibility that there's a bigger perspective, a sense of workability, and from time to time, even a little glimpse of calmness. Patience is our greatest ally in this work. Think about the Grand Canyon. It was shaped by nothing more than drops of water over eons. Can you imagine when the first water made its way through that part of the world, the Earth saying, "Okay, I want a really big canyon here. How long is this going to take? Um, No, to do this work, we really do need to cultivate that kind of patience. Awake in Space Becoming familiar with your passengers and their baggage tends to undermine the sense of identity associated with the cocoon. You might again find yourself wondering, who am I? Asking yourself who you are is an exercise that becomes more interesting the more you apply mindfulness. As you begin dropping baggage, that question tends to produce a different answer every time you ask, prompting you to recognize another pattern. Who you think you are changes. Sitting down one day, you find you're a person preoccupied with family relationships. The next day, you're a person concerned about money. Another time, you may be a person who just can't sit still. So it goes until eventually you begin to realize that there is only one thing you can always count on, the awareness that sees it all. Who I am is someone who is awake and paying attention. Everything else is subject to change. The fact that we can't pin ourselves down is both liberating and frightening. We're free of being stuck with a fixed sense of self, but without our habitual reference points, we may feel shaky. It takes courage to be willing to let go of our fixed beliefs and be open to not knowing who we are. But if we keep at it, we discover strength in that continuity of awareness, and in the flexibility it perceives. The good news is that we gain an almost immediate reward for being willing to live with that kind of uncertainty. Perspective and clarity. As we wade through all our stuff, meeting our passengers and taking note of their baggage, we begin to feel lighter, more spacious. A natural buoyancy, the strength of resilience, begins to manifest. Our sense of feeling harried, hurried, and hassled falls away, and cheerfulness, the unfabricated expression of our inherent vitality, rises to the surface. As we come to appreciate being grounded in our bodies every moment, clouds of complaint evaporate. Then, instead of watching our mental baggage circling on the carousel of time, we may find our minds in each moment as open as the clear blue sky. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this sample of Meeting Your Mind. If you're interested in hearing more, you'll find a link to purchase the audio book on the homepage of Applied Mindfulness Training's website, appliedmindfulnesstraining.org. There you'll also find additional resources and exercises to help you turn troubles into treasures. Goodbye.